All right, good morning, Four Oaks. I'm Pastor Paul. Let me assure you, this is really me. I'm not a hologram. This is not a prior recording. Little inside joke for those who were here last week. The, the pastors were AWOL. They had left the building because of a COVID scare. So Pastor Scott had, God bless his soul, had to record his sermon to an empty auditorium the night before. And you didn't even know the difference, right? So anyway, here I'm here in the flesh. And, and thanks to Pastor Scott. Thanks to Joel who stood in for, for Pastor Joe um, leading worship as well. The only lingering concern that I have from last week is that in the midst of all the craziness um, of, of quarantines and such, that our passage, which was from Romans chapter 3, would sort of get lost in the shuffle. Because it is not an exaggeration to say that Romans 3, 21 through 26, it's what Pastor Scott preached on, is undoubtedly one of the greatest passages in all of God's Word. It is clearly the turning point in the book of Romans. And so why don't you open your Bibles there to Romans chapter 3. And let's just sort of recap where we have been in this series these first few months. It's all darkness and misery for two and a half chapters. That sums up Romans so far, right? As my hee-haw friends in Tennessee would say, it's doomed despair and agony on me. I mean, if you want to sum up the first two and a half chapters, essentially, in layman's term, put a fork in mankind, he is done, right? Everyone is in the same boat. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, religious, non-religious, everyone when it comes to standing before, the, before a just and holy righteous God is equally guilty, each equally deserving of death, equally um, not worthy in our own self, in our flesh to bring ourselves before God. But then in verse 21 in chapter 3, two of the greatest words in all of scripture, he says, but God, but God. Instead of justly so, just letting us run our own course, condemn ourselves, send ourselves into hell, God said, no, 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 I'm going to send my own son as a propitiation, as a sacrifice. I'm going to send him. He's going to live the life you couldn't live. He's going to die the death you couldn't die. He's going to rise again and conquer death. And not only that, he's coming back one day. And all of this is yours as a gift by my grace just put your trust in me. Place your faith in me. And that's where we left off last week. Now, in our passage today, Paul wants to begin to draw out some of the practical implications of those first six verses. In other words, the truths of justification are awesome. They are glorious. It is, it is, a, it is a precious doctrine that we guard with all of our theological might, that one cannot earn themselves into heaven. You have to be justified, declared not guilty by God on the behalf of Jesus Christ, his death for us. But now Paul says, I want to begin to tease out, to walk out a couple of implications. In other words, if you're going to affirm justification with your mouth, how will you live justification with your life? And that's what Paul is going to begin to wade into in these subsequent chapters. See, if we're walking in alignment with the truths of the gospel, we have to ask, what will functionally be different about me and about my marriage and about my family and about my job and about my ministry, my life? So that's where we're going today. A short passage. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to be in Romans 3, just five short verses, verses 27 through 31. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law 
By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let's pray. Lord, um, some parts of Romans are easier to understand than others. We need, at all times though, your help in receiving your word, making room in our hearts for the life-giving work of your spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would do that. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Show us what it means not only to affirm the great truths of the gospel and justification, but in fact to walk them out in our lives. Lord, we ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your seats. Pretty straightforward today. Two points. The title of this sermon or the two points of this sermon, a spiritual conflict, a supernatural cure. Let's look at spiritual conflict first. Look at verse 27, first verse in our passage this morning. Paul asked the question, essentially, this is what Paul asked. In light of the gospel and of justification, here it is, what becomes of our boasting? Tim Keller's observations here about this passage are super helpful because he notes that boasting, the Greek word, is actually a military term. It's what gave commanders and armies confidence, a sense of standing for how they would fare in a battle against the other army. Kind of one of those, my army is bigger than your army, or my dad can beat up your dad, which I know doesn't happen here at all, right? But that, that's, that's the nature of the term, applied to people. Now, this is really where we want to dig in. When we apply the idea of boasting to people, what we're saying is, where do you find your power and strength? Where is it that when the chips are down, this is your go-to. If you, you may not be able to count on anything else in your life, but this one thing you know is always there. It's, it's that last quiver, last arrow in the quiver, so to speak. What is that thing for you? Is, is it your kids? Or your intellect? Maybe your money? Your social standing? Your job? Maybe it's even your marriage. What is that thing that at the end of the day you know the whole world deserves you, deserts you, but this is always going to be there for you? What is that particular thing? That's the idea that Paul is wanting us to press into. Now we have to ask, why is Paul so concerned about this idea of boasting? And I think there's two basic reasons. One, you have to know Paul was a great big bragger. He was a boastful man, and he would tell you that he was a boastful man, right? What is the sin that all of us are most in tune to in our lives? Maybe it's our spouse, our children, there's people in our small group. We're always most in tune to the sins that we struggle with the most, aren't we? Those are the ones that we can turn a really critical eye, and it's no different than Paul. He was the boaster par excellence. Listen to Philippians chapter 3. If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. He just gets it right out there, doesn't he? Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, 
as, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, Paul says, I was blameless. Paul is basically saying if anyone had any sort of standing to brag upon, to boast, to virtue signal, it was him. He was the creme de la creme of the religious spiritual elite. Now, here was the problem with this. And of course, this leads us into the second and most important reason I think Paul is singling out boasting here is that boasting is antithetical to faith. Boasting is antithetical to the gospel. In fact, boasting is the anti-gospel. If you want to drill down into the heart of sin at its very core, what you think, I think the sin of all sins, the first sin of our forefathers, right? Our, Our first parents is what? Pride. And I think Paul affirms this in Romans chapter one. Remember, he's bringing an indictment against all of mankind. And what does he say our fundamental, Romans 1.18, our fundamental sin is? He says, our fundamental sin is that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We press it down. We want to hold it under the water. We want to keep it under the covers and suffocate it to death. We want to impose our law our intellect, our standards above God's. Now, we don't ever put it so crassly as that, right? But that is fundamentally what pride is, and it's fundamentally the sin that's at the bottom of all sins. And Paul is telling us that pride is rooted in all unbelief, that I am better, that I know best. And we don't ever say it this way, but I kind of think sometimes, Pastor Paul, I know better than even God does, right? Now, you don't say that, but that's functionally where we live. We're all making that judgment call all the time. And the thing that presses ourselves to the front, the thing that compels us to turn off the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives and shut our Bibles at the end of the day is pride. We know best. We can do better. Now, what is the, what is the relationship, we're asking, between pride and and boasting. Think about it this way. Pride is internal. Boasting is external. Boasting reveals what pride has conceived in your heart. See, external boasting, whatever we boast and what we're having confidence in, what we lean into, reveals what our hearts are truly trusting in. But Paul says boasting is excluded Now, why does he say that? Look at verse 27. He says, not by the law of works, but by the law of faith. Now, when Paul uses the term law, nomos, he's talking about a principle. He said, the reason we can't boast is based upon not the principle of works, but upon the principle of faith. What Paul is basically saying is, Christian, you had nothing to do with your own salvation. Christian, you did not contribute anything to your salvation except your sin." See, you were dead to sin. We were, by nature, objects of wrath, Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 and Romans 1. But by, by definition, we were blinded to the things of God and of Christ and of spiritual realities. What does Jesus tell us in John 3? Not only can you not enter the kingdom of heaven, he says you can't even see it. That's how dead in our trespasses and sins 
we were. And Paul's emphasizing this point to, to, I mean, he is pounding it home to us. Church, he's going to continue to pound it home to us. You did not save yourself. Everything you have is by the grace of God. You did not, you were not to congratulate yourself even on your faith. Now we may ask about that. What about faith, Pastor Paul, right? At least, I mean, I know I'm bad and everybody's bad, but at least I had the wherewithal to know that I needed Jesus, right? At least I knew that like, you know, life isn't kind of working. I'm going to try Jesus out. I'm going to like put my faith in him. Well, what about that? Does that not count for anything? No, that's not the way the Bible describes faith. I want you to think about this passage for a second. Super familiar passage. What does it say? For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may, what? Boast. There it is. You see, faith is, we, we know that grace is a gift. We know that Jesus is a gift. We know that salvation is a gift. But you know what Paul is really emphasizing in this text of Ephesians 2? Your faith is a gift. In other words, if God had not gotten involved in your heart and life in drawing you to yourself, to open your eyes to see your true condition and your true need for Christ, do you think, do I think, we're actually clever enough to think that we would have figured this out on our own? Paul is wanting to kind of pound this into our hearts and minds to know we have no place for boasting before God, not even our faith, because even our faith was given to us as a gift. This is why Paul will tell us, if you're going to boast as a Christian, who do you boast in? Boast in the Lord. Galatians 6.14, be far, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is how Tim Keller sums this up. Because Paul is saying that boasting, now this is so good, church. Paul is saying that boasting and believing are opposites. You can't do both. The principle of faith excludes boasting because faith understands that there is nothing we do that justifies us. If we are to receive Jesus, we must give up boasting. Now, I think the reason Paul is raising this issue for us pastorally and practically is that obviously he is pushing us towards making a self-assessment of ourselves and our own heart. Because even as believers, our hearts are an idle factory, as Calvin would say. We gravitate, we love the praise of men. We love the confidence that comes from a job well done. We love thinking that we have done it on our own and we take pride in these things And Paul is saying that's antithetical to the gospel, antithetical, it's the anti-gospel. Now take stock of your heart. So to begin to assess the pride, the point of pride in all of our hearts, let me just encourage us, number one, bring some curiosity to yourself. Bring bring a self-assessment to your own heart and think about how have I structured my life? What is it about my life that testifies to what I'm really trusting in, to what I'm really glorying in, to what I'm really depending in, depending on? In other words, again, when the chips are down, what is your go-to? Here's another way to ask it. 
What is the one thing that if it were taken from you would cause you to despair? That would lead to crippling anxiety. You see, when our identity and our self-worth are tied to what we boast in, here's the problem. That game runs out. At some point, the music stops. At some point, that thing that we've placed all of our hope and trust in, whether it's a marriage or family or kids or money or job or status or reputation or a comfortable life, eventually, at the end of the day, all of those things in this life will fail. They will fail us. Tim Keller tells the story, uh, he and Kathy oftentimes remind each other that unless the Lord the Lord continues to tarry. In other words, if the Lord doesn't return, one of them will look at the other one in a coffin one day. And it's a reminder, is it not, that he who boasts better boast in the Lord. Because the only thing that is eternal is men's souls and the word of God. So Christian, I have to ask you, what is that thing for you? What are those things for you? Where do you derive your confidence? Where if this thing were to... to to abandon you or fail you or be crushed by you, where would you go? What would you have? I don't ask if you have those things. Please understand, we all do. We all do. David says it this way in Psalm 20. This is a, a, one of my favorite verses. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fail, but we rise and stand Upright, Just Christian, just be honest with yourself before the Lord. What are my chariots and horses? What are those things for me? And Lord, I consider them all rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So this is our spiritual conflict. It's what we were born into as sinful human beings. It's what competes for the affections of our heart. And because of that, this spiritual conflict is going to take a supernatural cure. And that's where we're going to go under this last point. Look back at the verse 27. Paul says, boasting is excluded. Now that word excluded, it's a, it's a strong term. It means to shut a door and seal it in such a way that it can't be opened. Think about for a second, a submarine and the hatch on that submarine. If I was going to be, no, we do have a submariner in here. Aaron Kennan is one of our elders. I'm not supposed to say that. That was top secret for 30 years ago. But anyway, he was on a, he was on a nuclear submarine. Sub, sorry, Aaron, this is being recorded. He was on a submarine, right, for, for weeks and months at a time. And there's, he's going around, and it's not really top secret. But anyway, he was going around, and listen, if I was gonna, a man going to spend the next six months on a submarine, the thing I would want to know first and foremost is what about that hatch, Right? Is that thing tight? Like, is that kind of water that I see kind of trickling down, you know, the inside of here? What's going to happen? Well, no, it's, it's absolutely sealed. That's the word Paul is using. He said, if you want to know what boasting has to do with the gospel, it's totally, completely, 100% excluded. It's Paul's way of saying that Christian boasting is obliterated by the gospel. Go back to, to Philippians 3. Paul goes on. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He said, I count all those things, all those things I just told you about my reputation. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was in the tribe of Benjamin. I had all the zeal. I was persecuting the church. Paul says, all of it is rubbish. Now, I think there are times in, in the Western world where Bible translators lose their nerve, okay? And this is clearly one of those cases. Because the word you see in your Bible says rubbish. Some of your Bibles might even go as far to say or call it dung, okay? And that would be closer to the truth. The actual word is a word I'm not going to say, lest I not preach here anymore in the future, right? You got to get what I'm saying? This is the strongest word. Paul says it's useless, It's refuse in the sight of God. And let me tell you why I think Paul speaks so strongly about this. And this is so, this is for us, Christian. One of the insidious effects of personal and communal pride, because remember, we can boast as, as individuals, we can boast as families, we can boast as churches, we can boast as groups. That's just kind of what we do as human beings. But when One of the insidious effects of personal and communal pride or boasting is that it always divides the church into classes of people. Whenever there is a conflict, whether Christian or non-Christian, at the very bottom, follow it all the way, follow the breadcrumbs home, you will find at the bottom of that somewhere pride and boasting. One, the, 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 the absolute ironclad conviction that what I believe is right And that because of that, I have a right to assert my will and I'm going to press that thing forward. And when two sinners hearts do this, there is a conflict that happens. And Paul's Paul is so interested in this because he's essentially telling us church, one of the insidious effects of boasting is that it divides, it brings conflict. And this is what was happening at the church in Rome. Look at verse 29. He says, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Now, let me stop right there. At this point, a Jew, natural born Jew, is going to be freaking out because you don't eat, even eat food with Gentiles. They are dirty, unclean. You don't share a house. You don't go to their house. They don't come to your house. This was a point of absolute boasting and pride for the Jewish Christians in the church in Rome. But what does Paul say? Is God the God of the Jews only? He's even the God of the Gentiles. That's what he's saying. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? See, at that point in time, the hot button issue was circumcision, which is no longer our hot button issue, thank goodness, right? It was Jew versus Gentile. That's where the conflict was happening. If you want to know how big a deal this was in the early church, Paul commits a whole letter to it, Galatians. They have to call a special council in Jerusalem in Acts 15 to address this issue. Here's essentially what happened. Paul had planted churches all along, all in Asia Minor in the area of Galatia during his first missionary journey. And in these churches were Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. When Paul left to to plant other churches, there were other Judaizers who came in and began telling the Gentiles You have to be circumcised. You have to obey the dietary laws to be included as part of the family. And when some of them refused, what happened is that the the Jews of the church, and we know this from Galatians 2, wouldn't even eat with the Gentile Christians. 
You see, they were spiritual Christians, and the Gentile Christians were just, you know, subpar kind of Christians. And Paul says it was so bad, it even deceived Peter, who was an apostle, apostle, and Barnabas. Even they were sucked into this gigantic, gigantic scheme. And Paul had to confront Peter. Remember, he says, Peter, you're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. You're orthopedeo. Or, that's where we get the word orthopedic, is off. You're not walking in alignment with the gospel and with justification. See, his boasting, here's where we want to press in, had erected a huge barrier. See, the thing that they were boasting in was the very thing that caused such deep conflict and division. And the church had to come together in Acts 15 and say, you know what? Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. Gentiles do not need to follow the dietary laws. Gentiles are accepted on equal standing in the church, because of Christ, because of the gospel. Because our categories are different, aren't they? We, 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 we chuckle in food laws and circumcision. But we have the same things, don't we? We have our things that we boast in, that we have confidence in, that cause us to feel superior, maybe to people who are here. Maybe to, to people who have a different conviction about a variety of things. Guys, one of the things that this past 20 months has shown us is that American Christians will find a whole host of things to boast and brag about that cause nothing but division, right? Whether it's the preferred system of money management to health and food convictions to strong opinions about COVID protocols, mode and method of education, how did you vote? Who is your political candidate? All these things have now risen to become first-tier issues. And at the heart of it, if Paul were here, I believe he would say, you're not boasting in the Lord. You're not, you're not grounding your significance and justification and affirmation in the gospel. You've created all of these man-made categories and divisions and groups, and at the very bottom of it is pride. And Paul, I think, would tell us this. It's not that we that there are, for example, no good reasons to have a good fight, right? There can be. Theologically, over false doctrine, over leadership, these are all important things. But you have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, what are the things that I'm really, truly ready to go to the mat for? What, 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 what are those things that are worth division and conflict, if you want to put it that way. For Paul, it was very clear. It was always the gospel. It was always the gospel that was at the very bottom of all of these conflicts. Someone asserting himself or herself, her opinion or his opinion, and elevating that to the status of saying, I'm right and you're wrong. Because let me just say a couple of encouragements for us. Be humble in your opinions. I mean, it's not a revolutionary thing, but just be humble in them. Be humble in your convictions. I know it may be hard to think, but it's possible, just possible, you might not be 100% right, okay? Maybe 95, right? But let's think about this. Be humble in your convictions. Church, give grace. Give grace. See, when, when, when there is a conflict over a, a non-essential biblical issue at its bottom, every time you will find there is some sort of boasting here. There is some sort of pride that's gripped the heart that wants to assert itself. Guys, the gospel is the great leveler. And here's what I mean. 
Pretty soon, it's gonna be time to pull out the Christmas decorations and start decorating the house. Quite frankly, the Gilberts celebrate Halloween for six months, then we turn our attention to Christmas. But every Christmas, just kidding, every Christmas season, Susan says, let's get down the decorations, and you gotta know, guys, my handyman status goes as far as it means to hang lights on a Christmas tree. That's as far as my handyman status goes. But Susan still insists on getting me to hang stuff all over the walls, right? And I'll get it up there, and, and she'll always ask me, do you need one of those level things? You know, you know what I'm talking about? This is how, um, yes, yeah, got those things, right? That you put on the wall to make sure you're, li- you're putting the picture up straight. What is that, what is that called, a level? Did I get that right? Yes. Some of y'all are gonna email me. See, this is, this is as much as I know. And I'll say, no, 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 I don't need it. I don't need it. I can do this by eye. I can just, I kind of gauge up there and I climb on the wall and I nail it in. And now when, when I'm up close to it, it looks great. But when I take a step back, Susan's like, mm, no, no, right? And so it takes a level to like tweak it and to adjust it, right? To straighten things out. Guys, that's what the gospel does for us. It's the great leveler. It levels out all human categories that form our basis for pride. And we all have them. Let's just say that, I mean, we all have them. Whether it's socioeconomic status, race, gender, sexuality, nationality, all of us do it. Think about it this way. The gospel as the great leveler is the one thing that makes Jesus accessible to everyone. Because one of, the, one of the great truths of this is that no one is too far gone outside the gospel. No one, and, and just think about that person or that group that when, when, when you think about them, you just kind of get a little irritated or frustrated or even angry. Not even them are outside, outside the power of the gospel. See, the gospel is the great leveler. It's an equal opportunity for any and all. And this call goes out to any and all who are here to place their faith in Jesus Christ. Because this is a point of evaluation for yourself and for me. Where have you allowed boasting to creep into your relationships? Where have you allowed human division points to be spiritual division points? Where is their pride and boasting and haughtiness disguised really as convictions? Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Because what's the most foolish, humbling, weak thing that God has ever done? He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because you realize that Jesus, when he went to the cross, He conquered our pride, my pride, my boasting through his humility. I mean, that's the power and paradox of the gospel. That it's not might versus might. Jesus says, I know you're boastful. I know you're proud. I know your relationships are filled with conflict. I know you're trusting in yourself. So here's the solution to that. The solution is not do better. The solution is I'm going to come and live the life you couldn't live. I'm going to come and die the death you couldn't die. I'm going to rise from the grave, and I'm coming back one day. So if you're going to boast, Christian, what? Boast in the Lord. 
Hebrews 12, 2 says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, listen, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Guys, what would God have us do this morning as we examine our life and and evaluate, are we walking in line with the truths of justification? Not not only are we theologically affirming them, but as are we walking in them? And the first thing that I think should come immediately to mind for us is to say, no, God, I'm not. Here's where I'm trusting myself. Here's where I'm really leaning into my strengths. Here is where I am walking not in dependence upon you, but in dependence upon myself. And as we confess those things to the Lord and do that self-evaluation, God is so eager, church, so eager to pour out his grace and mercy. What does Peter tell us? Humble yourself in the sight of God so that what? He will lift you up. Because we want to lift ourselves up. God says, I want to lift you up too. But it's going to come as you express your humility before me. When we come to the table each and every day, each and every Sunday, we are declaring once again and reorienting our hearts for that day, we need Jesus. If it's up to us humans, we will make a mess of it every time. We will cause conflict and divisions and there'll be groups. We will boast in ourselves. But Paul says, there's a better way. God sent his son to be a propitiation for you so that if you would only humble yourself and confess your sins to him, he will lift you up. Church, let's look to Jesus. Let's pray.